It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. You know, in keeping with the true message, the premise, and the goal of All That's Jazz, what we're going to do today is talk about a different facet of jazz, and that happens to be about the instruments that an artist would use. We feature artists all the time, but we have yet to speak to somebody that manufactures the instrument that a jazz artist might play. And so today, we have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Howard Paul, the president and CEO of Benedetto Guitars, and Jackson Evans, the customer relations and sales manager. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us here today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. It's truly a pleasure to uh, speak with you, and, and I'm more intrigued about this than I thought I might be at first, because... You know, I'm trying to think, well, geez, you know, we, we can't hear your discography. We're not going to see uh, videos uh, of, of your performances per se. Although, Howard, uh, I know you have a number of them because you are a musician yourself. But, as, as is Jackson. Uh, well, true. That's true. Yeah. So yes. then never well, mind. And uh, that's, that's something that I think if you want to start talking about unique parts of our company, that's one of the first points to make. Both Howard and I are professional jazz guitarists who use our guitars and used them for many years before being associated with the particular company. And I don't you think you find that in every level of the industry. Well, and uh, I think that's very, very significant and and certainly important to the manufacture and development uh, of your product because unless you have that first-hand knowledge or at least the first-hand experience uh, of using it, if you were a trumpet manufacturer, if you played it, you're probably going to have a better affinity for what an artist might need. And, And I think the artist is more comfortable with both of you in development Absolutely. So, uh, Howard, let's start with you. Why don't you uh, just give us a a little bit of the the background or the story of Benedetto Guitars? Uh, Sure. The company started in 1968. Robert Benedetto, or Bob Benedetto, uh, is the son of a master cabinet maker and the grandson of an Italian immigrant who was a, a master craftsman who worked for Steinway Piano Company. He actually is the guy that carved the lion's legs of Steinway pianos. And a whole family were musicians and artists and, uh, and wood craftsmen. So Bob started as a professional guitarist who grew into guitar making in 1968 after doing a short stint with the uh, Air Force. And the company grew through the 1970s and 80s as Bob grew in stature to become one of the foremost jazz guitar builders of the 20th century, uh, part of the sort of the triumvirate of D'Angelico, D'Aquisto, and Benedetto, the three great names of 20th century jazz guitar builders. A lot of the top players, this is after D'Angelico died, 
and uh, Diaquisto had kind of reached his uh, peak ability to produce instruments and wasn't really making traditional jazz guitars anymore, Bob became the favorite of a lot of the top players. So guys like Tal Farlow and Chuck Wayne, uh, Johnny Smith, Bucky Pizzarelli, Les Paul, all knew Bob, supported his career. Uh, I, I think probably Chuck Wayne was his first most important uh, artist and Bucky Pizzarelli not far behind that in the mid-1970s and from that Bob grew into probably the preeminent jazz guitar maker of the last quarter of the century building guitars for people like Kenny Burrell and Pat Martino and, and Martin Taylor Jimmy Bruno, Howard Alden, Jack Wilkins, pretty much all the the great players at the very end of uh, the 20th century. He mostly built on his own in his own home workshop. His wife handled all the marketing and customer contact while Bob was kind of like Geppetto spending 15 hours a day in his basement workshop, often with an apprentice, building on average anywhere from about 12 to 20 instruments a year. That lasted until 1999 when Fender asked if uh, they approached him about buying the brand. He wouldn't sell them the brand but he agreed to license Fender to make Benedetto guitars under his total control, training their luthiers, purchasing their materials, setting up their fixtures and then visiting them one week a month at their Corona California custom shop in order to make sure that they were abiding by all of his very, very stringent requirements on how to build jazz guitars. And that lasted for about seven years when he decided to separate himself from Benedetto. He contacted me. I was one of his customers in the 90s and became one of his artists uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, we became business partners in 2006, moved to the factory or, or took the brand away from Fender and built a small factory in Savannah, Georgia, which is where we're located today. So I was wondering how it moved from the Bronx and getting down to Savannah, Georgia. That's uh, quite a leap, if you will. It, it, took a, it took a lot of left turns and right turns. Bob had been in New York City. He opened a shop in Lake Hopatcong when he got married. New Jersey and then brought the shop down to Clearwater, Florida and was building there until uh, their daughter Gina was old enough to need better schools and different and, and have some family around so he relocated to uh, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania and probably his best instruments and his most famous artists uh, all got to know him when he was in East Stroudsburg. Fender came in in 1999 when Bob was relocating to Tampa, and then when uh, he and I became uh, associates, uh, I was living in Savannah at that time. My wife wasn't going to let me leave Savannah, and so I convinced Bob to, to move here and let us produce the guitars here. You know, it's an interesting story about Bob, especially uh, when he's the son of a cabinet maker. Where did the affinity for the music come in? Because the Benedetto guitar is, is such a fine instrument, and that sound has to come from the soul 
or, or the heart and mind of somebody who had this affinity for music? Where did that uh, fall into place? It's all part of Bob's family history. The, the, he'll tell you stories about family gatherings where everybody played an instrument, mandolin and accordion and guitar and violin, and they all sang. And So music was a really important part of uh, uh, this uh, Italian immigrant heritage. And as I mentioned, his father was a master woodworker, or grandfather was a master woodworker who, who carved the piano legs for Steinway Piano Company. So it, it wasn't a stretch for him to get into instrument making. He was a fine jazz guitarist and still plays uh, quite well. But I think at some point he realized life would be a lot harder as a professional wedding guitar player than it would be uh, using his, his skills to build better and better instruments. Of course, you'd have to know what it should sound like, uh, as opposed to a cabinet maker who's looking for durability, for lasting power, uh, the strength, the beauty of the work itself, uh, as opposed to, you know, you're not going to hear sounds coming out of a cabinet other than the door slamming. You would be surprised at the number of independent guitar makers that don't play guitar. They can strum them, they can pluck a few notes, they, they have a sense of what they should sound and feel like, but uh, Bob was a little unique in that he had been a professional, not just a guitar player, because there, there are a lot of instrument makers that are folk players that make rock guitars or jazz guitars or uh, you know, somebody that played you know, flute in a high school band as a woodwind instrument maker. Bob was actually a pretty well-developed jazz guitarist in his early days, and that's not typical in the guitar world. There are a handful of great builders who are also great players, but it's a very, very small number. I think it's also worth mentioning that he was doing repair work early on and had deconstructed many D'Angelico's uh, and reversed engineered a lot of that and then took the ideas to his endorsers. You mentioned Chuck Wayne earlier as a, a great example of that. He trusted the musicians around him and got their feedback, and that's what made him the, the player's builder as opposed to a builder for collectors or art-type art, you know, art, art type building. Mm -hmm. So, Jackson, you were saying earlier uh, before we started recording that uh, you are a musician as well as Howard. How did you become involved with Benedetto? Sort of in the same way that Howard did, but on a smaller scale. When I moved to Savannah in 2004, Howard was the first musician I met. He had seen a painting of me in an art show that my wife did here before we moved, playing a, a Johnny Smith jazz guitar, and gave her a card. So I called him before we moved out. I showed up in town, played a few tunes with him. Um, we coexisted as the two jazz guitarists in town for years. Um, at some point, uh, Howard saw me out playing an archtop guitar, and I think it irritated him. It wasn't a Benedetto. <laughs> so he uh, contacted me and uh, made sure I had a Benedetto in my hands, took care of that. And uh, several years, that would have been around 2009, I continued to work professionally, did a stint overseas in 2013, and... In 2017, I shattered my left elbow in a bicycle racing accident, and uh, Howard happened to be in need of a customer service and sales guy at the time. 
I wasn't playing many gigs with a broken elbow and the timing worked out perfectly and the, it's been a good fit for us to work together as a team. And so you feel like both of you having been musicians or still are, that this truly benefits the manufacturer, the, the sales, the, the, the reputation of Benedetto? Absolutely. We're, we're not building utilitarian mass-produced instruments. These are, these are like race cars. So if you're a race car driver buying a race car, your average car salesman isn't going to be the person that, that knows the nuances you need to address to, to meet your needs. So having that experience professionally and, and at a high level gives us a chance to work through the nuances of the needs of our player type customers. The, the race car is a pretty good example. Our customers don't want to talk about this model and this color. They want to talk about the difference between Grant Green's guitar and Wes Montgomery's guitar. And if I play it with my thumb instead of a pick, what gauge strings should I use to get that sound? And if you're not really steeped in jazz guitar tradition and history and able to play it, it's impossible to have those kinds of conversations. And, and so that's what it takes to be able to communicate. We only make about 100 instruments a year, and most of them are custom-ordered instruments, although we make some for inventory. Our customers are really, really well-versed in their trade. By the time they call Benedetto, they have a pretty good idea that they want a Benedetto, but they don't know enough about our company to know exactly which model or specs they want on it. And that's our job is to kind of help them through that. So when you're doing your business uh, of being guitar makers, are you seeking out the artist or is it the artist that's coming to you? Uh, it's a combination. Uh, there is a never-ending email chain of people around the world who contact us and want to play Benedetto guitars and uh, believe that they're at a level to be a Benedetto artist. And uh, frankly, if they're contacting us and we don't know who they are, they're probably the least likely people to become Benedetto artists. We, on the other hand, are always looking for the great jazz guitarists out there who aren't really married to a particular instrument or are using a vintage instrument and maybe ought to be playing a custom instrument. And so we'll approach them. And we've worked really hard in the last 10 years to recruit the next generation of great jazz guitarists. And diversity, we think, is a key in jazz. So we're looking all the time for the next great generation of Latin American, Brazilian, African American, female. We want all the next great jazz guitarists. The, the next Pat Martinos and Wes Montgomery's should be playing Benedetto guitars at some point in their career in order to get to that next step. So I'm not sure at this point uh, if this is a question to the president, CEO, or the sales manager, but what makes a Benedetto stand out from all the others? I, I'm going to let Jackson answer that and take notes. Oh, all right. <laughs> so great them. Uh, sounds fantastic. Number one is our quality. There's no builder in the industry right now who is focused on nailing all of the details every time. 
quality and consistency are the thing we do the best. We have a policy of perfection. When I deal with a customer, I make sure it's clear that our delivery time is approximate because we're not going to ship a guitar that has a, a bad setup or a mar in the finish. It has to be perfect before it leaves our doors on a shipping truck. Bob's designs are iconic. Uh, that sets us out in and of itself. He was the whole package in terms of his design. The sound of a Benedetto is a unique thing because he took care to make sure the individual instruments and the models he designed met the needs of the players as opposed to being pieces of art. That's why he has the minimalist aesthetic. You'll notice the guitars tend to look pretty plain compared to a, a real flashy overbuilt guitar from the 50s with all the art deco appointments. That's because wood is what sounds best, not abalone. I was going to ask you if we could engage in a little guitar speak. And first of all, let me ask you, what is an archtop guitar? A lot of our listeners may not know that because I'm sure every one of our listeners is not a guitar player. That's a great question. The archtop guitar, or we also refer to it as a jazz box or a jazz guitar, is a hollow body, traditionally a hollow body instrument that borrows its design and architecture from the violin family. Guitars have been around since the 1400s, but they have always had flat tops and flat backs, and the bridges have been glued directly to the tops, so that as you apply tension to the string, it's pulling the top away from the rest of the body. The archtop guitar was developed in 1922, at the very beginning of the jazz age, really, as a rhythm instrument that was able to project through an orchestra. The prior version of the guitar, the flat top, doesn't generate enough energy and projection to be heard in an orchestral setting, which is why you'll never go to a symphony orchestra and see a guitar player unless that piece was written specifically for the guitar. It's just not loud enough to project through an orchestra. So the jazz guitar was designed in 1922 by a guy named Lloyd Lohr, who worked for Gibson Guitars at the beginning of the jazz age, and it served the purpose of being a, an unamplified rhythm instrument built like a cello that when you play it with a pick or a plectrum, it generates enough energy and volume to project towards the audience rather than 360 degrees around the guitars. That became the sound of uh, rhythm guitar, and when you think of that style, Freddie Green comes to mind from uh, the Count Basie Orchestra as the guy just chunking away rhythm without a microphone, without an amplifier, helping to propel the orchestra by assisting the bass and the drummer in combining rhythm with some level of harmony. That changed in the early 1930s when an electric pickup was added and the guitar became a solo instrument loud enough to play with an orchestra as opposed to just a rhythm instrument. And that we think of Charlie Christian with the Benny Goodman Orchestra as kind of the grandfather of the whole jazz guitar where you're playing melody, you're playing chords, you're a solo instrument, you're a rhythm instrument. That's kind of really the beginning of what we think of as a traditional archtop guitar. Arched top refers to the carved or arched top and back of the guitar where the bridge, like a violin bridge, sits on the top of the guitar, unglued, 
and is only held in a place with a downward tension of the strings, and it has a violin style or trapeze style tailpiece. And of course, that gives you that better quality of acoustic as well, especially with a guitar like yours that may be either hollow or semi-hollow. Correct. The lighter weight, the bigger the surface of the top and the deeper the body, typically the louder the instrument and the more it can project. But as you begin to amplify it, the more susceptible it is to feedback. So in later variations in the 40s and 50s, the guitar shrunk in size from 19-inch wide jazz guitars to 18-inch to 16-inch. And today, the most common archtop guitars are, are hollow body electric guitars that are about 16 inches at their deepest, broadest point and usually about two and a half inches at their deepest point. And of course, as not being an insider as a non-guitar player, a lot of us are used to just seeing on stage, for example, a rock band with a hard body guitar that's electrified with steel strings possibly. And if it weren't for the string and the amplification, you probably wouldn't even hear the guitar. In fact, you don't. Because uh, exactly. I've seen uh, guitar players backstage warming up, but you don't hear anything. Right. So this is a guitar that is designed initially to be acoustic and loud and projective. And as it's, as it's evolved with electric music, we've compromised a lot of those features in order to make it more adaptable to more styles of music. But a traditional jazz guitarist, people who just play jazz, always tend to gravitate towards that more acoustic sound. I say always. There are obviously exceptions, uh, like Pat Martino, who played a big body jazz guitar, but he's such a slight guy and plays with an organ trio, which is very loud. The smaller and the more electric guitar he has, the more he's able to control it and carry it around for a night. Uh, but most jazz guitarists, that the sound that we think of as of the jazz guitar, Wes Montgomery, Tony Matola, Grant Green, uh, Barney Kessel, Kenny Burrell, they're all playing hollow body arch tops that are usually electrified. And that, that, that those F holes and the tailpiece and bridge are what we think of when we talk about that arch top jazz guitar. And it's interesting because uh, th that guitar became electrified, if you will, like uh, I believe uh, Les Paul was the inventor of the electric guitar, uh, unless I'm uh, wrong in that uh, detail. Yeah, well, what Les Paul did was he took that hollow body electric guitar and eliminated feedback by turning it into a solid body instrument. What he did was he took a jazz guitar, disassembled it, put a solid wooden block right down the middle, attached the pickups and the tailpiece and the bridge to the solid block, and then reattached the hollow body components of it, but essentially created the first electric solid body guitar. It wasn't until the 19, early 1950s that that became what we think of today as a just a solid block of wood with strings. And that's the Les Paul model as designed by Gibson, not Les Paul, but named after Les, and the Fender guitars that were put into production at the same time, built by Leo Fender in Corona, California, and they're famous today as the Stratocaster and the Telecaster uh, versus the Les Paul same principle, a solid block of wood 
with the bridge and the strings affixed right to the top of the guitar where you're the only sound you're really hearing is that uh, electronic pickup uh, over steel strings. So let me ask uh, Jackson, because uh, you're the wordsmith for the company, being customer <laughs> relations and sales manager, what's a luthier? A uh, luthier is a guitar builder. The word is rooted in the word lute. A luthier is someone who builds guitars. It can also be a guitar repairman. We have uh, eight of them in Benedetto headquarters. They are some of the world's finest builders, and they're head up by Damon Myland, who is our master luthier. He was Bob's apprentice for the last 10 years of his career, worked side by side in every part of the shop. Now he's in charge of both planning our production schedule and overseeing uh, what the other luthiers do, and also doing the highly specific parts like carving the, the and tuning the top and back plates and uh, some of the really detailed woodworking type jobs. How was the lute different from a guitar of today though? Uh, very differently shaped. It, it had a convex back that was uh, sort of like a turtle shell. In fact, early versions of it used turtle shells to, to create this, the sound. And then a flat top like you'd have on a, on a folk type guitar now. They were often multi-coursed, the way a mandolin is, where uh, instead of pushing down one string at a time, you're pushing down multiple strings that are paired together in pitch. I was always taught, I, I don't have a, a scholarly source to reference on this, but the modern shape of the guitar, it's my understanding that it was meant to mimic the shape of a woman uh, with the, 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 curve, the, the hourglass shape that... Uh, Conveniently also allows it to rest comfortably on your, your leg and lean into your body for a more modern playing style. Would it be an unfair assessment to say that Benedetto guitars are really for the serious guitar player only? You're not exactly for the back porch strummer. Well, we, we really have three kinds of customers. Uh, business people come and tour our shop all the time because it's, it's sort of a throwback in America to see this kind of craftsmanship in modern-day America, American manufacturing. So they always want to know who our customers are. About 30% of our customers are professional jazz musicians. The people who teach them how to play, the faculty members at the colleges, universities, and, and music stores, and then the students who are rising to become professional players. And they tend to buy our, our more entry-level instruments, which start at about $5,000. So it's a really expensive instrument in guitar terms, but it's kind of the entry level if you're looking for a serious professional guitar that you can play the rest of your life. So the professional players and the people around professional players are about 30%. A good 60% of our customers, maybe 65%, are professional doctors, lawyers, uh, engineers, bankers, and they tend to be very, very serious guitar players. They're, they're the people who started their life wanting to be a professional musician. Many of them went to undergraduate school and studied music. And then at some point they woke up and realized they had to support themselves or had a family or their parents had greater expectations. And they went on to professional schools, developed professional careers, spent their life making a lot of money. And now they're 50, 60, 70 years old. Their kids are grown up and out of the house. 
they've been through midlife crisis and they have expendable income and they want to spend the what's the for them going to be the rest of their life focused back on what they loved when they were young which is jazz guitar and so guys like that and girls like that around 50 55 years old find they're going to rededicate themselves to jazz and they go online and they find the best jazz guitars in the world and they're probably already listening to our artists anyway if they're serious guitarists so they they don't have to save for 15 or 20 years to buy the same guitar bucky pizzarelli or pat martino plays that that money's available to them so that's that's our biggest customer and then about 10 percent of our customers are collectors and they may play very little but they collect musical instruments and specifically guitars as objects of art so spending 15 20 30 40 thousand dollars on a really fine one-of-a-kind handmade instrument is not that big a stretch for somebody who would buy wine you know a, a rare bordeaux at a wine auction or or a, a, a couple of sculptures from an up-and-coming uh, great sculptor or or go to uh, some kind of fundraising event and invest in in some original art those collectors they're not the biggest part of our customer base but they are the ones who buy the pieces that are the most work of art for us maybe maybe it, they allow us to experiment a little bit more with with wood selections and shapes than the more traditional customers that we have that are really guitar players what percentage of benedetto guitars are custom made for the artist versus off the shelf kind of scenario you want to answer that jackson yeah i'd say uh 70 to 80 percent of our orders are custom orders although many of those will just be standard models i mentioned bob's design aesthetic earlier he he's really knocked those details out of the park when it comes to meeting the needs of a professional musician so Custom might be having your name inlaid on the tailpiece or the finger rest. It might be uh, a, a unique finish, but we we don't have people calling and ordering a solid body version of a Benedetto or or some something that we're not. Uh, on the extreme end of that, the collectors that Howard mentioned, um, things like exotic woods might be used as opposed to the traditional maple top with a, or spruce top with a maple back and sides. Someone might want a coca bolo back and sides with a cedar top or um, ornate overlays on the headstock. That's sort of the artistic end of it tends to come out in the woodworking. So, I think what's important is we don't let customers design our guitars. When they buy a guitar, they're buying a Benedetto. There are many aspects of it that we can tailor to them. Most people don't need anything tailored when they're buying a Benedetto. But by the time they get to that point, they trust Bob's design to be the best guitar that they can own. And it's just picking which model of Bob's design fits their playing style. We're not letting anybody come and tell us how to build a guitar. We know how to build a guitar. We can appoint it for them. So 100% of them are our instruments. 80% of them are mostly standard. But you would make modifications. Like, for example, if somebody came and uh, they tried out a Bambino, which is one of your models, right. uh, and they started playing it and say, yeah, you know, I love this thing, except I need this. 
How flexible it, can it, you be for that? It depends. It depends on what this is. If this is this is a great guitar, but it's a half inch too wide, make it a half inch narrower. The answer is no, because the dimensionality of the guitar is what gives it its voice and playability and makes it a Benedetto. But if they say, this is a beautiful guitar, but this neck is too wide for me, it needs to be one and seven eight, or it's too narrow, it needs to be one and seven eighths inches wide instead of one and three quarters inches wide, but it doesn't change any other aspect of the functionality of the guitar, then, then we'll, we're happy to accommodate that sort of uh, customization. So the primary wood that's used is maple and spruce, uh, or is there a dominant uh, wood that you use? Uh, it's it's the same woods used in in the violin family. It's it's always spruce for the top, maple for the back sides and neck, and ebony for all the other appointments: the fingerboard, tailpiece, bridge, uh, finger rest, truss rod cover, faceplate tuners, volume and tone control, we make all of those parts out of ebony so that they're neutral. So you're hearing the, the strings vibrate against the spruce top and you're hearing the, uh, the, the air waves resonate and bounce back from a maple back. You know, that's almost all the guitars we build are built that way. So when you use certain woods, though, uh, let me be a little devil's advocate here and you make a guitar for me uh, in humid, rich Savannah, Georgia, and then you send it to me here in Colorado where it's not so humid. Uh, how's that going to affect uh, the wood, the sound, and quality of the guitar? Well, this is a very humid place, Savannah. And uh, so the woods that we get, and they're traditionally European spruces and maples, are air-dried in Europe for six years before we receive them. And we get them and we put them in a drying room at 100 degrees, 20% or less humidity, and we continue to cure them for another five to 25 years. So before we start carving that piece of wood that's gonna be the top or the back, it's been in an extraordinarily dry environment for a minimum of 10 years and in many cases 30 years or more before we begin carving it and at that point it's n the the molecular structure of the wood has cured to the point where it's not anxious to absorb moisture so and it would fit any environment that it's in essentially it's, as long as there aren't really dramatic shifts in heat and humidity so if you take a guitar in Arizona for example and it's you know two percent humidity and you leave it in the trunk of your car and it's 140 degrees inside the trunk of the, your car and zero humidity that guitar is shrinking dramatically if you take it and then bring it into a cool humid environment that guitar is going to expand really dramatically and the risk is not every component on that guitar is going to expand simultaneously so glue joints can become separated finish can crack as it gets forced back together or separated the the plastic binding around the edge of the guitar isn't going to expand or contract at all but the spruce and the maple that it's connected to may expand and contact contract at different temperatures so really rapid changes 
in climate, and I mean really rapid changes, are not good for these instruments, but gradual change, changes in climate are not a problem for a properly cured musical instrument. It's designed to expand and contract a little bit, but they're, they're, they have a propensity because they've been cured not to expand and contract dramatically. So a quality product, uh, obviously, and one that's designed as such so that it could withstand any conditions for the most part. We're really a tiny little company with 11 employees that makes 100 instruments a year. It's, I'm amazed at how this brand has been able to be so pervasive in the jazz guitar world. And I know it's a lot of hard work, it kind of feels natural. I don't understand why every other guitar company isn't the same way. Because it, it's, it's, if you tell your story, people are going to know your brand. We really love it when people come here and we get to tell our story. But by the same token, there are people that we have sold fifty dollars or $60,000 guitars to who have never played a Benedetto before. And they live in Taiwan or in London or, or in Abu Dhabi or in Pennsylvania and they just know that they have to have a Benedetto and all the negotiation is done over the computer or the phone and when they get their Benedetto in the hands it's the first one they've ever played. One final thing to the uh, the salesman here, how do people uh, learn more about Benedetto Guitars? You can visit us at BenedettoGuitars.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and all the usual platforms. Fantastic. Gentlemen, thank you. It's been a, a true pleasure to speak to you both and all the best to your futures for safe, successful, and wonderful times. Thanks for having us. Take care. Maybe one time I'm in Savannah, we'll swing by. Well, you have an open invitation to tour the shop anytime. I, I truly value that. That's a very nice gesture. And I might take you up on that one day. I, I hope. I hope you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz, featuring Howard Paul and Jackson Evans of Benedetto Guitars, the American makers of the world-renowned Archtop Jazz Guitars. Our thanks to Ben Sidron for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We have new podcasts every Wednesday. You may subscribe for free. We are now heard on all top platforms, as well as Facebook and our website, allthatsjazz.net.